Well, we're going to get back into our study of Romans today. We're in Romans chapter 6. And uh, this idea is kind of behind the passage, the idea of exploiting kindness or taking advantage of kindness. And so I have an article here from NBCNews.com. It's called Biggest Fraud in a Generation, the Looting of the COVID Relief Plan Known as PPP. This was a March 28, 2022 article by Ken Delanian and Laura Strickler. So it says this, they bought Lamborghinis, Ferraris, and Bentleys, and Teslas, of course, lots of Teslas. As many who participated in what prosecutors are calling the largest fraud in U.S. history, the theft of hundreds of billions of dollars in taxpayer money intended to help those harmed by the coronavirus pandemic. They couldn't resist purchasing luxury automobiles, also mansions, private jet flights, and swanky vacations. It says they came into their riches by participating in what experts say is the theft of as much as $80 billion dollars or about 10% of the $800 billion handed out in a COVID relief plan known as the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP. It's hard to get your head around $80 billion. It's hard to get your head around a million, right? What's a million dollars? One billion is a hundred million, right? Just think of a hundred million dollars, that's a billion. Eighty billion was stolen, but that's not all. It says that's on top of the 90 billion to 400 billion believed to have been stolen from the 900 billion COVID unemployment relief program, at least half taken by international fraudsters, as NBC News reported last year, and another 80 billion potentially pilfered from a separate COVID disaster relief program. The prevalence of COVID relief fraud has been known for some time, but the enormous scope And its disturbing implications are now becoming clear. Prosecutors said Mustafa Qadiri, 38, of Irvine, California, used money from PPP to buy three cars that cost six figures apiece, including a 2011 Ferrari 458 Italia. I don't know what that is, but it sounds pretty sweet, right? Even if the highest estimates are inflated, the total fraud and all COVID relief funds amounts to the mind-boggling sum of taxpayer money that could rival the $579 billion in federal funds included in President Joe Biden's massive 10-year infrastructure plan. So they're saying as much has been stolen as could be the amount that we're spending on roads and bridges and so on. Nothing like this has ever happened before, said Matthew Schneider, a former U.S. attorney. It says, it is the biggest fraud in a generation. And there's pages and pages more of the article that details how they did it and what they did. But it's really this. It's exploiting kindness, right? COVID hit. Nobody knew anything of what this going to mean. Businesses are shut down. And so this program was designed for people running businesses to have money come in to pay their employees so that they have income during an uncertain time, right? That's what it was for. And so people were making up companies or exaggerating. I might have 10 employees. No, I really have 100 employees. And it was this program that was designed to help. It was relief. 
It was a kindness. It was a gracious thing. Here's money so that you can pay people when they can't, you can't run your business. And it was exploited, frauded. It was kind of a disaster. Uh, uh, and you're just going, who does that? Right? Who does that? Well, people do that. Right? This is, people do that. You're getting a weird echo. I don't know if it's just me, but I don't know if we can get that. Anyway, so what's this about? The same way that people would want to come along and exploit and take advantage of a kindness from the government. It can be the same kind of thinking where someone could come along and say, could I take advantage of the grace of God? Is there a way that I can work this to my own ends? You think, well, that can't be real. But let's just walk this through. You're going to see it's that same kind of thinking. So this is where we left off last week in Romans 5. And it just gives us this breathtaking picture of what God's been doing in Romans 5, 18 through 21, which sets us up for chapter 6. It says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So we saw this. This was being the trespass of Adam or the first person's sin, that his trespass leads to condemnation. We're all born into sin. It says, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men, the, the act of Jesus, to die for our sins, his act of righteousness, to be righteous, to obey God. It says, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. That's Adam's action. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. That's Christ. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. We looked at that last week. The law shows you how sinful sin is. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. That's just a fabulous statement. That as the sin of humanity increased and was pointed out clearly in the law, the grace of God increased more and covered it. So that as sin reigned in death, Grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel is unbelievable. That the sin of humanity, the, the generations, the years of sin leading to death was covered in Christ. And so that's beautiful. But then there's, can I exploit the grace of God? Can I use the grace of God to my own advantage? You think, well, who would ask that? They were asking it then. Flip over to Romans 6. This is the exact question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? That's the question we're going to deal with. That's the statement. That's often where things go. Right? Okay, wait. You're saying, you're saying that when sin increased and the law pointed out and humanity's sin just got bigger and bigger and bigger, that brought the grace of God? So if I do some more sin, do I get more of God's grace? That's the idea. Wait, you mean, you mean you're going to send me money to give my employees? Well, can I take advantage of the grace of the U.S. government? It's the same thinking. You're saying if I do this one thing, the bad thing, I get grace. So if I do a lot of bad things, will I get a lot of grace? That's the question. That's the thing. And that's, or, or even the accusation. Wait, you're saying that the grace of God covers sin, well, why would I not want to have more sin so I have more grace? That's an accusation that, that you're just giving people a reason to sin. So here's what we're going to wrestle with. The grace of God. Can I exploit it to sin? To keep sinning? Or is it the only way out? Is it the only way out of sin? 
And we're going to take answer B there, right? The grace of God is the only way out of sin. It's not the way to stay in. It's not the way to keep doing what you want to do. It's the way to be free. That's what we're going to see. So we're going to do Romans 6, uh, verses 1 to 14. We're going to cover that today and looking at the grace of God is the only way out of sin. So let's read that section together here and then we'll look at it. Romans 6, 1 to 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So there's our section here, and this is the point again. The grace of God is the only way out of sin. The grace of God is not a clever way to stay in sin, right? It's the only way out. So that's the first thing is really, well, what is it understanding the grace of God? What does it really mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a follower of him? What are we really getting at here? And that's what these first... Uh, verses talk about there's that question what shall we say should we continue in sin that grace may abound if god forgives sin and i want a whole lot of god in my life can i do a whole lot of sin to get even more god can i exploit it is there an angle can i do what i want to do can i party on saturday and in church on sunday i think that's a country song it's not a good idea but that's the idea well god will just wipe it all out so his answer is, by no means. No way. This is translated various ways. My favorite is, no way, no how. My professor, I had a Romans class, said, stupid, stupid, stupid. That's how he translated that. Yours might say, by no means. No. There's no way. And he asked the question, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So we're starting, what does it mean to be in the grace of God? It means that you start to think of yourself and you've been joined to the death of Christ. So he asked, how, if you've died, you can't still live in sin. You died to sin. Well, how did you die to sin? As far as I know, I'm still alive. You're still alive. You're here. So we, being united to Christ through baptism, you die to sin by being united to Christ. And it's this picture of us through baptism. Verse three, do you not know 
that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death. This is picturing baptism by immersion, which is what the word means. Baptize, I always think of it, uh, the word means to dip or immerse, so I always just think of it as the chicken nugget and the ketchup, or barbecue, or sweet and sour, or whatever you prefer. You don't sprinkle it. I got to have the sauce. That's baptism. And so that's what's pictured here. You say, I believe in Christ. I'm going to put my faith in Christ. And then you say, I'm going to follow you into baptism. And the baptism is the picture of this. I'm dying. I'm being laid down in the water. I'm, I'm joining the death of Jesus. You didn't actually die. You're joining him by faith. And it's a, it's a physical picture of acting out. We've got, the, we've got the water full here today. I'm just going to put it out right now. Some of you might need to do it today. And it's nice and steamy warm, thanks to uh, our properties, Deacon's Finn, getting us a tankless hot water tank. It's warm, but it could be something God's asking you to do today to get baptized. But the point is, when you're, you've, you, when you're baptized, you're joining, you're uniting to the death of Christ, being laid down into the water, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It's picturing coming back up. Just as the Lord Jesus was laid in the tomb and raised on the third day, when you're in Christ, you're joining his death. You're joining his burial. You're joining his resurrection to walk a new life. It says, for if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Jesus wasn't revived back to a standard human life. That was Lazarus, who he healed. He healed a guy, brought him back to life, who still had to die again. I mean, that's one of those trivias. How many times have you died? Well, I've already died once, but I'm going to die again, right? Not Jesus. He wasn't revived. He was resurrected to a whole new kind of life, a life that doesn't die, an eternal life. So you're saying, if you're joined to Christ, pictured in baptism, you've been united to his death, and you will be united in his resurrection. So when we're talking about understanding the grace of God, what does it mean to be in Christ? We're not talking about how can I work some sin in here because I get more grace of God. Saying, no, something has happened. You've been united to the death and resurrection of Christ through baptism. So you're actually living a new life. Something new is happening. It's not some other thing. It's not something to be exploited. You don't want to exploit it. Right? We just sang that. I'll never know how much it costs. I don't want to exploit the grace of God. I want to live in it. So the second point is we died to be set free from sin, not to figure out a way to do more. So verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him. The old self. We just looked at this last week. You're born into the race of Adam, which just means human. And that self is born into sin. In Adam, we're born into sin. We will die for that sin. He's saying that old self that's born into sin, that was crucified with Christ. In order, so we get a lot of purpose statements here. In order, so that, pay attention to those. This is giving you reasons. Well, why were we crucified? Why did the old self that was stuck in sin. Why? In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. It really means to be stopped or to be emptied of its power, right? If you take the batteries out, if you take the batteries out, the remote control doesn't change the channel. 
right? He said, that's the idea. You are actually crucified with Christ so that the body of sin wouldn't have the power anymore. So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Like that's, he's like, that's the point. I'm actually freeing you. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. And when you've died, sin doesn't have a hold over you because you've died. And he's saying, if you've died in Christ, you've died to that sin life. You've died to it. And so that's the picture. He says, when you're in sin, you're actually enslaved to it. It owns you. You don't have a choice. You're going to sin. You're going to live in sin. And you're going to pay the eternal price of sin, which is death and a spiritual death away from God. Like That's the sin. That's coming at the end of this chapter. The wages of sin is death. And you have no choices. He's saying, but I actually came to free you from that sin. I actually came to give you the choice to live a life, to give you freedom from death, freedom from the consequence of sin, freedom from the power of sin. Like, that's actually the point. So we don't want to figure out a way to stay in it. We're not trying to figure out a way to how can I kind of have a little of this and a little of that and get the grace of God. He's like, no, no, the whole point was to get you out of it. The whole point was to set you free. The whole point was to break those chains. So then this, we, we died to be set free from sin. The third point is that we live with Christ to God. Jesus Christ is living. And he's living to God. He's living with God. And he's saying, you're joining me in that. You're going to live with Christ in your life for the purposes of God. That's verse 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him forever. That's the hope of the believer, that we live with Christ forever. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. He doesn't rule. He doesn't reign. He won't die again. He's resurrected. Right? And so if we're with Christ, then we enter into that. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Notice it says to sin. He didn't die for his own sin Right? He died to sin. He died to its power. He died to its hold. He died to the, that it's got humanity. He died to that once for all. It was a one-time sacrifice for sin because he was perfect. And so the life he lives, he lives to God. He died to sin. He died to end it. He died to end its power, its regime. And so when you're in Christ, we're actually living with Christ forever, serving God. That's the picture. So when you understand the grace of God, you're not trying to exploit it. You're not trying to say, how can I figure out a way to manipulate this to get more? Because you realize he actually freed me from the thing. Right? It's, it's just kind of, this is kind of a ridiculous picture. But suppose somebody gave you a car and that's what you did to it. You trashed it and you ruined it. And you tore it up and you beat it up. He's like, ah, whatever. And then somebody gave you this car. This is a nice upgrade. And you think, but wait, if I trashed this car, would they give me an even better car? Would you think that? No, you're like, this is amazing. I'm going to take care of this car. I'm going to wash this car. I'm going to insure this car. I'm going to park way in the back where no one bumps this car, right? You, you wouldn't enter in. How can I manipulate this? And that's, that's the thinking here. When you understand the grace of God, you're not trying to exploit it. 
You're not trying to say, how can I keep this sin going over here? And in reality, if God's grace covers sin, well, then I'm going to get more of God's grace. That's, that's why he says, no way. There's no way because of the reality he just explained. When you're in Christ, you've joined the death of Christ. You've joined the resurrection of Christ. You're free from the power of sin. You're free from the enslaved to death. You have a whole new life. So we're not, we're not trying to go back there. It's not a game. Now, that's probably not a lot of your thinking. That's probably not a lot of it. It can be in there. But there's the other side here that the end of this passage picks up. But I still struggle with sin. Now, that's a different question. The first question was, how can I exploit it? If I do a whole bunch of sin, can I get a whole bunch more grace? And he's like, nope, nope, nope. But then he gives us some things to help, but I still struggle with sin. It's still present. I'm still tempted. It's still hard. Anybody there? And so, and that's when you're not saying, I'm trying to exploit the grace of God. You're just going, I'm trying to figure out how to live this new life. I'm trying to figure out how to be free. And this is why I was saying the grace of God, it's the only way out of sin. It's the only power to live. And so he gives us three things at the end of this passage here. He gives us three changes we can make to help us not live in sin. Three changes. So the first change is that you change your mind. See that in verse 11. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word consider there is, this is how you must think about something. This is the way you must think in your mind. So that's what I'm saying. You must change your mind. How do you think about yourself? How you think is very powerful. Remember, we went through a training here several years ago. It was put on by Love, Inc. called Redemptive Compassion. And it was all about how to come alongside somebody who's struggling in some kind of difficult situation, whether it's a financial thing or, or something difficult. And so it was super helpful because what would sometimes happen is someone would come into the office and they would meet with me and they would just unload a story that was just overwhelming, Right. I'm totally homeless. I don't have any money for this. This other horrible thing happened. I lost all this. And it would just kind of come on to me, this story. And I was just going, oh, my goodness. I don't even know the first thing I would do then. And then I would start to think, okay, what resources do I have? Okay, I can call this person. And pretty soon their massive crisis was moving on to me. And I was like, ah, and I don't even know. And when could I even do that? So I went to this redemptive compassion training. And they taught us to say something different. They say, okay. I've, I've heard all your story. What are you going to do about it? And the reason you say that is because you, on the one hand, realize you're not God. So you're not in charge of their story. But also you're empowering them because they are. They are in charge of their story. And they actually have resources and ability to make a plan. So I tried it. I remember saying that. Well, what are you going to do? And I was shocked when people came back with answers. Well, I'm going to go here first. And then I'm going to call this place and go to the Opportunity Council and they list off and you're like, okay, how can we come alongside you? And it just changed everything. I mean, it just took this massive weight off of me, but it empowered them. You're not a person with no skills who's totally incompetent and can't help yourself. That little question says, you have a plan. You have some ability to work that plan. We can support you in your plan. And how that empowers them, how they think about themselves was powerful. Yep. I'm going to make some decisions here. I'm going to make some phone calls here. I'm going to visit some agencies here. And this is how you could be a part of it. 
because you're empowering them. So this isn't just, you know, think real positive thoughts and you'll do better. There's something about the way you think. If you think I'm a person that has the resources to solve some problems, then you will be a person that has some resources to solve the problems. If you think all the time, I'm a big fatty, I'm going to be fatty the rest of my life, which is a lot of times how my brain works, then that's what I'm going to be. But if you think I'm a healthy person who makes healthy choices, you start going, I'm a healthy person that makes healthy choices. Now, that one was personal to me. I'm not directing that at anyone. But that was the negative self-talk I had. That's how I'm going to be. No. No, I don't have to be that. I'm dead to sin. That's not just wishful thinking. That's the truth of the gospel. So when the temptation comes in, you go, I'm dead to sin. I've actually been freed. I'm the kind of person that makes choices that walk with Christ, not the old way. And so that's, it's not made up, it's true. I live a new life in Christ. You're changing your mind. You're changing your mind. We sang it, was it the second song? I'm chosen. I'm forgiven. We're singing truth. I gotta tell myself that. I am who, I forget the words now, but they were really good. I am chosen, not forsaken. That's the words we're telling ourselves. We're changing our mind. You must consider yourselves dead. You must change how you think about it. And then we begin to follow with our actions. So that was verse 11. Consider. Rethink. The second one is to change your boss. Mark, this is not an opportunity for you to get a different... That's not what I mean. Verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Right? Reign. This is authority words. King, I'm in charge. I'm the boss. He's saying, let sin therefore not reign. This is just how kids talk. I don't know if you ever heard this or said this. You're not the boss of me. You can't tell me what to do when you hear kids arguing and bickering and one's telling the other one and changing the rules of the game. You're not the boss of me. But there's actually something helpful there. There's something helpful there. You need to change. You need to say that. When you feel temptation, when you feel sin, when you hear that voice saying, this is what you need to do, you can actually say, you know what? You're not the boss of me. And that's not made up. Look in verse James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves to God. Therefore, resist the devil. You can actually say no. Right? This is scriptural. You, and, and it's truth of this gospel. You died to that way of sin. You're risen with Christ. He is the boss of you. My life is with Christ. I'm filled with his spirit. I don't have to listen to that voice. Sometimes the temptation of sin feels like it's so powerful, it's so real, that you have to do it. I just, I can't, it's just overwhelmed. And you actually can say no. You're not the boss of me. Christ is. I've died and risen with him. He did, you don't get to reign here. There's a new king. There's a new king. So that's the second one. Change your mind. Change your boss. And the third one is change your habits. This was hard to capture a word to capture these verses, but that was the best word I could come up with. Change your habits. Verse 13, do not present your members to sin as instruments of righteousness. The members of your body, your body parts, your hands, your eyes. So don't give your body, don't physically give yourself to sin as an instrument or a tool of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. 
and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. So it's this picture of what you're actually physically going to give your body to. It's physical. That's why I said the idea of changing your habits, changing what you do. Right? That sometimes you need to actually physically change the environment. Right? If you always, before bed, are on this certain device, and then it leads you to websites you don't want to be in, like, okay, I'm going to have to physically do something else. The phone's going to live somewhere else. The Bible's going to replace it. I'm giving my body to something that's helpful. Right? If you find I'm at this time, I'm always off with the buddies and we're partying over here. I'm going to schedule something else. I'm going to go to my neighbor's house. I'm going to rake the leaves. I'm going to physically do something different with my body. I'm not going to give it to unrighteousness. I'm going to give it to God. So sometimes there's physical changes you need to make. What you do with your time, what you do with your eyes, what you do with your hands. And a lot of times the mind and heart comes later. You make a physical change, and then the mind and the heart follows it. I'm just going to make myself right now. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go over and do this other thing. Or I'm going to call this other person and see how they're doing instead of using this time to do what I don't want to do. And so it's very practical. Right? Change, change your habits. Change what you're physically doing with your body, your mind, your eyes. You might need to schedule something different or do something different. Because the grace of God, it's the only way out of sin. This isn't willpower. This isn't just stop, just stop, just stop. This is changing your mind according to the truth of Christ. You've died and been raised with him. He's your new master. He's your new boss who's freed you. He's the only one that frees you. And so that's why we have these little tools he gives us. Change your mind, change your boss, change your habits. Right? The grace of God is the only way out of sin. So it's not an angle to exploit we're not trying to exploit God's grace and think, how can I get a whole bunch of what I want and then God will just cover it all up? That means you haven't understood the gospel. Right? So it's, it's not there to exploit. It's also the grace of God is not a way that we say God has to accept. And it's not a way we can say this sin I can do and God has to accept it because of his grace. And we sometimes like to do that. Well, you have to accept this. You have to accept this view. You have to accept this sexuality. You have to accept this way of thinking. No, no, no. He died to sin. So we can't insist that God accepts something. We can't say that this life is how God, he has to do it because of his grace. That's again, now you're kind of exploiting the grace of God. When you're coming to Christ, you're saying, here I am. I'm dead to sin, or I'm dead in sin, and I need to be saved. This sin is actually harming me, and I need to be freed. And I am going to die eternally if I don't come to you. So it's not a way that we say, well, how can I manipulate that? It's this idea that there's a new life in his grace that we want to live as new people. And so we can't bring God to things that he has to accept. We just bring ourselves. Say, I absolutely need your help. And then when you're following Christ, we use these little things to change how we think, change who our boss, change our habits. Because it's wonderful. He's actually freeing us. So here's how we could respond today. You could just respond with maybe one of those three things saying, oh, I got to really work on this one. How I, how I think, how I'm going to talk back to, to sin. It's not going to be boss anymore. Maybe put one of those in your thing this week. Some of you, I'm wondering, you're going, you know, I believe in Jesus. I've not been baptized. 
that option's available today, right now. This water is warm. In this hallway, we have a cart with towels and T-shirts and shorts. We have everything you need to change right here. It could be that you're going to respond with faith and baptism all at once. You're saying, I want to be in Christ. I want to have you save me. I want to join your death and resurrection. I want to be baptized and be united with you. I want to publicly declare it. The baptism is the public declaration of the faith that's already in your heart. So if God's calling you to that today, we're going to do it. We're going to have two songs. Myself and some, some folks from the church are going to be right up here. If you say, I want to come up, I want to be prayed for. You can say, I want to come up, I want to be baptized today. We're going to do it right now. We're going to sing a song and do it. So if that's you, you're saying, I want to be baptized. I want to publicly declare my faith in Christ that I'm joined to him. I want you to come up here today. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we're just thanking you so much for the new life that we have in you. Let us not have a mindset where we want to fraud it, but a mindset where we want to live in it. And Lord, I'm just asking for your help. It's hard. We still live in this world. We're still tempted. Help us to change our thinking to be in accord with the truth of the gospel. Help us to, to, to live this life of freedom that you gave us. Lord, I pray for any now who want to respond in baptism. They want to respond and, and publicly declare their faith in Christ and to be united to demonstrate death and resurrection and new life. You just give them the courage to come up. And Lord, we know that you're moving and you're working. And so we're so thankful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.